Well, there's a passage of Scripture in Luke that I think we're all familiar with where the two disciples are walking along the road to a village called Emmaus. And much has been written about the two disciples who encounter Jesus after his resurrection. Scholars and theologians have discussed and debated this short passage of Scripture in the Gospel of Luke for centuries, exploring it for significance apart from the other many examples in the Bible of Jesus appearing to witnesses after exiting the tomb. This morning, I want to help bring that passage of Scripture into the present, into relevance for our experience. And I want to do that for all of us who find ourselves from time to time on our own road to Emmaus. And that brings the question, what is your road to Emmaus? For the two disciples, Cleopas and the other unnamed one, their world had been turned upside down at the crucifixion of their teacher, their master, their savior. Their road to Emmaus was doubt, fear, grief, unrealized expectations. And I wonder if that is a road that any of us have ever been on. See, the opening verses of that passage begin, Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Now, I think what is significant here in those few verses is that the two disciples are kept from recognizing Jesus. Their grief, their doubt, their fear have clouded their minds. Their unrealized expectations about what they thought a Messiah should be have dulled their hearts to the point that their eyes can't see the Christ standing right in front of them. In their current state of mind, Jesus is unrecognizable to them. The truth is beyond their ability to comprehend. They're on a pretty rough road indeed. Now, maybe you are on a road like one of these two disciples. Maybe your current situation and circumstances have you so overwhelmed with doubt and fear and grief that you're dragging your feet, stumbling down the road to Emmaus, not because Emmaus is a significant destination, 
but because anywhere is better than where you are right now. You might be dejected, disappointed, dis uh, defeated. You might be wandering aimlessly and commiserating with friends about your situation. And most of us soon realizing that commiserating does little or nothing to change our circumstances. But Jesus engages the pair of disciples and asks them to tell him of their experiences. He wants them to share their understanding of all that has transpired. And so he asks them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. Jesus said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, I think we should pause here for just a moment because the exact phrasing in the text is significant. It doesn't say he explained to them all the places in the scriptures where he is talked about. No, that's not what it says. It says, beginning with Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, beginning with Moses and all the prophets. The entire Old Testament. He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Do you see the difference? It's a nuance, but it's important. In other words, Jesus is not just mentioned in several places, not just referred to in several places in the Bible, but rather is the thread interwoven into the great tapestry of the Bible from Genesis all the way through the Old Testament at that time. Jesus is the center, the focus. So Jesus' response to their recounting of recent events 
is to admonish them concerning their foolishness for not having grasped all he had been teaching them. But following that criticism, Jesus walks them through the scriptures from Genesis through the prophets, showing them all that had been foretold about himself in all the scriptures. Why is the admonishment important? Why does Luke tell us about the admonishment? To understand the significance of the admonishment in our circumstances, we have to accept that we too have missed all of the truth Jesus came to share with us. We too have failed to recognize at times the Christ walking next to us, right next to us, on our individual personal Emmaus road. Sometimes we can't see him for everything else that's going on in our lives. But he's there. The scriptures that Jesus shared with the disciples are the same scriptures that he shares with us even now. From his presence and participation in the creation of the world to the messianic prophecy in Isaiah and throughout the entire Old Testament, Jesus shows us that the plan for our individual redemption has been in place and was carried out to the letter on the cross and in the tomb and then finally in the resurrection. The revelation is that God was, is, and will forever be in control. He is sovereign. His plan for our lives is complete and perfect. So Luke continues, and he says, As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. See, the disciples only recognize Jesus when he performs that last act he did for them in the upper room on the night before he died, the breaking of the bread. That night, Jesus said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
And even though Jesus had walked them through the Scriptures, and even though their hearts burned at the hearing of the truth, they still only knew Jesus when they came to the communion table. The holy significance of that act of breaking the bread and participating in the acknowledgement of Christ by partaking of it is immeasurable and supernatural. And it's important because it is a means of grace. Jesus is present at his table. The communion of saints are present at the table. It's not just us in the room when we partake of the bread and the wine. It's the entire company of heaven. Which may be why all these extra chairs are out, I don't know. When I was going through the candidacy process for ministry, the question was asked, what do you believe is your call to ministry? And that's a mighty intimidating question when you have at least a dozen sets of eyes waiting, watching, dozen sets of ears listening for your response. But my response was, as I thought about it for a few moments, I believe I am called to pastoral ministry and to delivering the holy sacraments of communion and baptism to God's people. I believe there is power, Holy Spirit power in the bread and the wine of the Lord's Supper and in the water of holy baptism as instruments of grace from God. Leading people to Christ and administering the sacraments as a means of grace have become my life's work for the advancement of the kingdom of God. And I want to stress that it's not about me. If you were to ask any pastor in any church about their role in the administering of the sacraments, they would tell you that the sacraments are elevated far above anyone who's administering them. Because Jesus is at the head of the table. So as we come to the communion table in just a moment, allow the Holy Spirit to give you new eyes to see, new ears to hear the living word 
the risen Christ in the liturgy of Holy Communion. He is indeed present at His table. And we are given the privilege of sharing in that sacred fellowship. Liturgy is familiar to us. We have heard it every time we take communion. And there may be little variations depending on whether we use word of service in table one or table two. Little variations, but the liturgy is familiar. And I want us to be careful that we don't become complacent in the liturgy. Because it is the Holy Spirit speaking to us. And if you open your hearts and align yourselves with Him, then it will be an entirely holy, set-apart experience for you. So in our circumstances... On our road to Emmaus, whatever those circumstances are, we must always remember two things of great importance. God is in control. Within the boundaries of His will, we are always secure. Jesus, walking next to us, on our road to Emmaus, if we will but pause to listen, we will understand that we are not walking that road, whatever it is for you. You're not walking it on your own. And the second thing is that all of the Bible study and intellectual exercises in the world will only take us so far down the road to Emmaus. We will only know Jesus. We will only truly know Him when we are in communion with Him. When we are in fellowship with Him. In relationship with Him. It's all about acknowledging Him as Savior. Communicating with Him through prayer. And being engaged in the relationship through fellowship, daily fellowship. It's more than just an exercise of the mind. It's a passion of the heart. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.